To sign up for our announcements, send a blank email to radio-announce plus subscribe at acblists.org. That's radio-announce plus subscribe at acblists.org. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hi, this is Jeff Tom. I want to welcome all of you. I am the chair of both the Advocacy Steering Committee and the Advocacy Services Committee. And I go by the mantra that the less I say, the smarter I look. So I'm not going to say too much more before I introduce uh, the person who's going to be running this show, except I want to mention something that won't surprise anybody. But yesterday I was on a call um, of the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition, which um, more and more of you are going to hear about. It's a, a three-year effort to really further um, programs and services for seniors with vision loss. And um, ACB and the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss are prominent parts of that coalition. But I'm not here to talk about that tonight. What I am here to mention is that out of the blue, somebody with no real tie to ACB uh, in making comments about you know, how the state of uh, services to people with vision loss said, you know, the ACB community has done so much for our community, for advocacy, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's not only, you know, those of us in the community that are recognizing it, but I think we are being recognized all over for all that we've done over the past year. And with that little, you know, round of applause virtually for us. I want to introduce to you and get things going um, the uh, chair of uh, advocacy and uh, governmental affairs, um, the director, I should say, of advocacy and governmental affairs, Clark Restfall. Well, thank you, Jeff. I, I think you just gave me a promotion. <laughs> good, good evening, everyone. As Jeff said, my name is Clark Rockfall and I am ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. And geez, I, I've been in this role since 2019, although the, the last year I don't think counts. That probably, I mean, we're on to, uh, you know, to GDUI service animal years after the, the last year that we've all been through in terms of advocacy and the pandemic. Uh, but it's, it's good to be back and doing another open call where we will share the advocacy items that we've been working on primarily here in the first quarter of 2021. Um, but we'll also ask our advocacy committee chairs um, to provide a quick overview of what their committees are focusing on and maybe giving a, a quick nod towards the ACB annual conference and convention. Uh, but before we jump into the subject matter, uh, we do have another member of the advocacy team at ACB who joined us in just a month ago, right, Swatha? So yeah, Swatha Nandi Kumar, will you please uh, tell folks what your role is here at ACB? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm Swatha Nandi Kumar. I am the advocacy outreach specialist here. Um, yeah, and I've been here a month. Um, so I still work on kind of looking at what government is doing for um, us and looking at how we can advocate better for services. So, all right. And some folks have probably already seen some some of Swatha's work um, that we've been sharing over the list, and she's certainly been a, a vital resource to help keep track of everything that's going on um, here in the 117th Congress. Um, so it, it already seems like a long time ago, but geez, just a month and a half ago, we held the DC Leadership Conference and over two days and 18 hours of programming, uh, we covered the waterfront. Uh, we had tracks of programming on accessible voting, transportation, health and wellness, digital inclusion. And as 
Jeff touched on with aging and vision loss, also rehabilitation and um, special education. Include, and I would be remiss if I didn't add that all of those sessions are available as podcasts through ACB Radio on Pinecast, as well as on ACB's YouTube channel. So if there's something you missed, please go and check it out. Included in the DC Leadership Conference were our affiliates organizing and meeting with their elected members on Capitol Hill, uh, carrying the water for our three legislative imperatives. And those include the Medicare Demonstration of Coverage for Low Vision Devices Act, the Exercise and Fitness for All Act, and the Disability Access to Transportation Act, or DATA. A quick status update here, and a big thank you to all of our affiliates for all the meetings that you've done and all the feedback forms that you provided. We are still working on reintroduction of the Low Vision Bill, as well as the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. But some good news is that the Disability Access to Transportation Act has been reintroduced in the House of Representatives by Representatives Langevin from Rhode Island and Representative Titus from Nevada. And the bill number for the Disability Access to Transportation Act is H.R. 1697. It's H.R. 1697. So if your member of Congress is not a co-sponsor of the Disability Access to Transportation Act, especially if you conducted meetings on Capitol Hill with staff and members of Congress, now is a great time to circle back with them to continue building those relationships and encouraging them to co-sponsor H.R. 1697. All right. In addition to our legislative imperatives, voting, 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 voting. Voting has been one of the biggest advocacy issues for ACB, uh, certainly over the past 20, 40 years, 60 years, <laughs> all of ACB's existence. Uh, they deal with the passage of the Help America Vote Act in 2002, and certainly the the pandemic caused a, a monumental shift towards early and absentee voting across the nation. ACB and our affiliates work to ensure that even throughout the pandemic, as voting uh, evolved and emergency provisions were put in place, that voting access uh, still remained forefront. Um, in some cases, this has been more effective than others, uh, but it, it's an area that we will continue working towards, both in-state with our affiliates, as well as on the national level. Um, for every you know, two steps forward, there is occasionally a step backward. Uh, so he, last year, many folks gained access to systems where they could electronically receive and complete their ballot. Uh, but then in most cases, folks still had to print out the ballot, uh, sign it and mail it in, or some variation thereof. However, five states, Delaware, Maine, Massachusetts, North Carolina, and West Virginia, allowed all voters with disabilities in their states to receive an absentee ballot electronically, complete it, using assistive technology and return the ballot electronically. Um, no more having to navigate transportation barriers to either get to the polls or to a drop box. No more having to deal with paper. Um, as we all know, uh, paper ballots are inherently inaccessible for people with vision loss and certainly folks with other print disabilities and mobility and dexterity impairments as well. So this was a uh, you know, momentous times for voting access. Um, however, there are 
concerns that widespread use of electronic voting and electronic ballot return um, could create the opportunity for fraudulent voting results. Um, this has led to language being included in HR1, the For the People Act, uh, that would require, well, that would put in place a durable paper mandate and restrict, excuse me, not restrict, but prohibit electronic ballot return. And the Senate, the US Senate has introduced a similar bill, um, S1, also titled the For the People Act. And Swatha, you had the opportunity to uh, attend the hearing in the Senate Rules Committee on S1, the For the People Act. And what was the, the sense or some of the main takeaways you had from that hearing? So, yeah, so I attended the hearing on S1 by the Rules Committee um, a couple of weeks ago. And um, once I, I, there's the idea that the, um, the mandate would, would um, paper ballots would provide more security for um, voting. Like they mentioned a couple of times that um, you can't hack paper, which is just, not 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 necessarily not really true. Um, they also mentioned that like the um, Democratic um, split in Senate um, support was split on party lines. So the Democrats um, they applaud the bill as like a win for um, people and for security and the Republicans highlight the fact that it's not um, it's it's really just a, it's really kind of mandates and um, it just creates extra extra barriers for voting um, for people with disabilities and for um people in for and for states because it includes a complete overhaul of um state the state state systems state systems state systems state systems so yeah it's basically split on party lines and I remember saying that um. It would not receive a single vote from the from the um, right as is. So, yeah, thank you, Swatha. And um, it is HR one and SR and S one are mammoth pieces of legislation. Um, the sections on disability access um, and voting access for people with disabilities are a very small portion of these bills. Um, there is a lot of content here to prevent gerrymandering, um, have more equity in how drop boxes and polling places are distributed, as well as providing more information and more ease to early voting, in-person voting, voter registration. Um, so there's, there's a lot that the disability community could certainly support in this legislation. Um, however, the durable paper mandate and um, the prohibition on electronic ballot return um, are two issues that just create an insurmountable barrier for many people with disabilities, including members of ACB. Um, and we are making that clear to Congress, the Senate Rules Committee, the House Administrative Services Committee. Um, the ACB issued a press release this week with including quotes from uh, several of our affiliate presidents, like Chris Bell from North Carolina, as well as Donna Brown from West Virginia. Again, two states that are already allowing voters with disabilities to return their ballot electronically. Um, so this would in fact roll back accessible means of voting that they've already gained access to, but it would also prevent innovations in voting systems and technology going forward. Um, so this is certainly something that we're keeping an eye on um, and we'll communicate more on this topic, especially on the For the People Act with our members. Uh, the federal government is not the only entity that's taking a look at 
voting. Um, many states have bills aimed at revamping their election systems following the 2020 general elections as well. Um, and some of these bills, including Georgia, Texas, Iowa, Arizona, um, could make it more difficult for people with disabilities um, to, to register, to receive an absentee ballot, um, and in some cases, even to gain access to using the accessible ballot marking device in the polling place itself. Um, so if, if there are any affiliates who are monitoring election bills within their states um, and would like to discuss them with the national office, please reach out to Swatha and me. Um, in addition to voting, there's been a lot of activity coming out of the administration. Um, one of the large items that has already been accomplished is the American Rescue Plan. Um, and Swatha prepared a summary of the American Rescue Plan that was shared over um, our lists with our members. Uh, there's still a lot of information in there that needs to be you know, figured out on how these dollars are going to be spent and plans that are going to be implemented. Um, Swath, would you like to give a, a high level overview of the American Rescue Plan? Yeah, sure. Um, so the American Rescue Plan um, was passed a month ago. And um, I think one of the most public uh, provisions in the bill and the um, legislation was um, the economic impact payments. So families and um, individuals making up to certain thresholds get um, up to $1,400 per person and per dependent. And that money phases off, but that money phases off bit, like after a certain threshold. Um, yeah, so many, many, many of you saw that like, in your, um, as like mail out, mail out, like send, it always send out, it always sent out to you. Um, so yeah. We um, also in the bill, there was money allocated towards CDC to kind of revamp up the vaccine vaccination program, program, vaccination program, and um, to provide more money towards state programs for vaccination and for COVID nineteen treatments, and um, to provide more PPE and. So yeah, there's also money in the bill. Um, it's a massive bill. It um, there's money also money money to provide the state governments to um kind of offset the impact of the pandemic on their economies and on their um infrastructure 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 um also money money towards Amtrak towards um airlines and towards um other um public public transit so they get money to kind of offset the burdens of the pandemic and um to kind of restore routes and restore um their personnel there's also money money in there to um that goes towards schools and programs to support distance learning distance learning and to support um students with special needs and students who um or homeless, or experience other other um social mobility impairments, um like um, impediments. Um, there's also my money go money going towards colleges and universities to um kind of offset their losses from like not being not being able having open open up fully for students and not being able to like provide the same services they do. It's also also made there for small businesses to um money money that goes towards um the PPP programs and um it goes towards restaurants and venues shuttered venues and arts like arts use and all that. So it's a massive bill, and all in all, it um allocates nearly nearly two trillion dollars towards kind of offsetting offsetting the impacts of the COVID 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 nineteen pandemic on economy and on, on working families as a whole in the in the issues. Thanks, Swatha. And um, I mean, what's 
two million dollars two trillion dollars <laughs> friends right and uh certainly more on its way as we turn to infrastructure um tyson and belinda um i'd like to ask you if you could please bring chris bell and sheila styron up to the stage as well as we talk about transportation so i i already mentioned the the Disability Access to Transportation Act, H.R. 1697, which has been reintroduced. Uh, certainly our goal is to, have, to gain as many co-sponsors as we can and have this language included in the reauthorization of the Fix America Surface Transportation or FAST Act, a surface transportation bill that needs to be reauthorized excuse me, by September 30th of this year. Um, it's that seemed to be the, except widely viewed as the, the easiest way for uh, this legislation to pass. Um, so we'll certainly keep working with uh, our colleagues in the cross-disability community to push for this legislation. Um, additionally, the, oh geez, uh, <laughs> Sheila, if you're up here, I'll need to tee you up here real quick because the Department of Transportation has their service animal final rule. Um, that is in place. The airlines have the accessible service animal forms. And Sheila, is there anything you'd like to add on that? <laughs> um, perfect timing, Clark. It's nice to be here speaking to everybody tonight. And since Clark just mentioned that, I, I feel like he's sort of leading me down the path. I, I, um, there are forms that have been developed by the Department of Transportation, most of you are probably aware, and they are supposed to be accessible, but people are having trouble with a lot of the airlines. I just um, booked a flight personally um, on American Airlines and went to check out those forms today and found that um, they weren't accessible for me. I. I could read it on my iPad, but I couldn't fill it out. And then on my um, Windows machine with JAWS 2020 installed, I couldn't even read it. And then it wouldn't let me leave the page because it was mm -hmm. um, asking, uh, it was telling asking me if I wanted to save changes, which I didn't even know I had made. So we, we have some work to do and certainly keep everyone posted. We want anyone experiencing issues um, with these forms, anyone who's booking a trip, please reach out to anybody in ACB, people in GDUI. I don't know if anybody um, with GDUI is here on the call tonight, but I know their advocacy committee is, is tracking problems that people are having with these forms. And I also noticed on the website today which felt like a big deal to me. I, I don't know yet if it is, but it, you know, there is going to be no uh, permission granted until they see me at the airport with my dog right before the flight. And he said, you know, I don't remember the wording, but they're going to have a look at the situation and make sure it looks like my dog can fit in the allotted space under my seat. So, we are all kind of watching with bated breath to see how this process unfolds and to see how long it takes uh, for the airlines to get these forms to be accessible because they certainly should be if we're going to be asked to fill them out and asked to come to the airport early. Um, besides uh, this, I would, I'd like to just touch very briefly on voting. It's not transportation, but I had an issue with voting on Tuesday. I voted in person and they didn't have headphones to go with the machine. So I had to run around and find some headphones. And by the time I had wrapped everything up, they had somebody on their way from the voting authority bringing some headphones. The, the people were saying, well, yes, we noticed we didn't have any, but nobody was asking for any. <laughs> like, well, don't you think, you know, it, you didn't oh, know geez. when I was going to come in, right? You know, yeah. so it was it was pretty pretty hilarious. So on to some a couple of other transportation. Um, we we have a, a pretty exciting convention lineup coming. I I will 
speak to, we're going to be doing five sessions this summer, and I will mention two of them and, and leave some for Chris to talk about. Um, our opening session, the presenter will be Leah she Shehum Shehum. I'm not sure how to say her name. I need to learn to say her name if I'm going to introduce her in July. Um, she is the CEO for Vision Zero Network. And I think probably many of you are um, probably somewhat familiar with how cities who adopt Vision Zero policies are really able to cut down on traffic fatalities. And she, I, I heard her speak in the fall at another symposium and she's just dynamite. So I know you won't want to miss her. Um, I'll also be um, hosting a panel of, uh, a lot of our panel is, is very uh, educational. You're gonna get a lot of information. Um, this panel is called Out and About with Canines and Canes. And I'm going to assemble a panel of some people who have low vision, some who have no vision, a couple of people who use guide dogs and a couple who use canes. And we're going to talk about how we navigate the world, share some of the ticks, trip, tip, I can never say this, tips and tricks of uh, getting out there, hopefully with the goal of making people feel inspired to get out and use these streets and these crosswalks and figure out how to get to their bus stops. And, and uh, you know, we, we're all, you know, so busy getting in and out of cars and going into buildings. And it, it's a great feeling of freedom to be able to get out there and walk and, and try to um, conquer public transportation if, if you can work up the nerve. And one of my personal philosophies that I want to share is that it, you know, if you can learn to look at travel as an adventure rather than something to be afraid of, that I think, you know, we, we would all benefit, um, you know, from enjoying our travel skills. Um, just a word about my committee. We have uh, a lot of people from all over the country who have varying levels of experience with different kinds of environment, people who live in, in rural districts from the north, south, east, and western parts of the country. We have, uh, I know all of you know, Ron Brooks, who is very, very uh, steeped in travel knowledge in uh, paratransit. He's very excited and involved in autonomous vehicles right now. Um, he, he, we are all here as resources for, for you. If you have questions, if you have issues, don't hesitate to reach out to our committee. Um, Becky Davidson, chair of the Environmental Access Committee has been very uh, successfully fielding monthly calls that are jointly um, offered by our two committees, an opportunity to learn and participate. But beyond those calls, please reach out to our committees. And not only do we wanna hear about what you need help with, but I strongly encourage everyone to share your successes. Maybe there's something you're doing where you live that's working really well, something you're doing with transportation or, or access or, um, the way you've gotten them to do a better job in installing accessible pedestrian signals or how you've bumped up sidewalk repair, whatever, or, or some sort of off the wall little special transportation system that you've got going in your area. We wanna hear about your successes as well as your problems so we can share them with others and, and build on those successes. And um, I, Chris, you might be talking about we, we have comments due in a lot of different areas and I, and I bet you Chris is going to touch on the MUTCD. So I'm gonna stop now and Yeah, you give teed Chris them up perfectly, Sheila, talking Good. about accessible pedestrian signals and sidewalks. Uh, and I, I will add that <laughs> the Transportation and Environmental Access Committees hold a monthly community event. I believe it's the fourth Thursday Right, I mentioned month, the event, but yeah. Titled Mobility and Beyond. So be sure to check those out uh, to keep up with all the great work that transportation and environmental access are doing. Um, Chris, can you please 
briefly share with us the, the recent work of the Environmental Access Committee? Pleasure. Uh, yes, uh, our next uh, community call, it actually is not going to be on the fourth Thursday because it's a scheduling conflict. It will be early in May and it will be announced, but it will be an exciting call to talk about how to litigate the right to have accessible pedestrian signals in your community. We'll have a lawyer from the Disability Rights Advocates and uh, uh, certified mobility specialist who testified as an expert in, uh, in some litigation. And it should be a really interesting call. Um, so obviously accessible pedestrian signals is a big issue. And uh, the latest breaking news uh, just tonight is that the uh, United States Department of Justice has filed papers to intervene in a lawsuit initially brought by ACP of Metropolitan Chicago against the city of Chicago for its failure to install accessible pedestrian signals. And the Department of Justice has, is now seeking to intervene on behalf of uh, blind and low vision residents of Chicago to require the city to install accessible pedestrian signals. That is a very big deal. Um, ACB of New York uh, has a lawsuit against the city of New York to require that city to install accessible pedestrian signals. And they got a very favorable court decision uh, out of that. Um, so these are big issues and they're big issues because right now, the ADA itself and regulations issued under the ADA do not require the installation of accessible pedestrian signals. So this uh, litigation front is very important. One of the reasons they don't require it is because U.S. Department of Transportation, Federal Highway Administration, issues something called the Manual on Arm Traffic Control Devices for Streets and Highways. And that sets out standards for traffic control devices, including pedestrian traffic signals. And um, although it has standards for what would constitute an accessible pedestrian signal, it doesn't require their installation. And they're doing an update of the manual and they're adding some additional pedestrian signals like rectangular rapidly flashing beacons and other kinds of beacons that aren't necessarily going to be accessible. So that's something that we're in the process of writing comments uh, upon um, because we really would like them favorable to our folks. Uh, also, the uh, Environmental Access Committee is updating the Pedestrian Safety Handbook, which was published, I think, in 2012 or maybe it was 2010, and it is now in the process of being updated with uh, new information. Uh, and, um, and finally, uh, Sheila mentioned what we're doing at the convention. Um, our focus for the uh, Transportation and Environmental Access Committee uh, Convention is going to be on pedestrian issues, and we will have a panel discussing some of these uh, new forms of uh, pedestrian signals, which I meant hybrid beacons and the rectangular rapidly flashing beacons, so that we can understand uh, what you might see at your local intersection and talk about uh, whether they can be made accessible and what to do to get them to be accessible. And that's all I have. Thanks very much. Well, thank you, Chris, and thank you, Sheila. Uh, next, I'm going to talk about education, and I see that there's a Debbie G with a T in the audience, and if that is Debbie Grubb, um, Tyson or Belinda, can we please have her come up to the stage as well? Uh, so a bill that ACB has been a longtime supporter of since 2013, the Cogswell-Macy Act, has been reintroduced in both the House and Senate on a bipartisan basis, that is HR 1959 and S813. Uh, we've worked with a whole coalition of organizations, but um, the one nearest and dearest to ACB is AER, or the Association for Education and Rehabilitation for the Blind and Visually Impaired. That's, as Mark Reichert would say, if he was here, that's why we call it AER. 
but the Cogswell-Macy Act would provide uh, enhancements to services and supports for students uh, through an expanded core curriculum uh, for students with visual impairments, students who are deafblind, as well as students who are deaf and hard of hearing. Um, so it's, it's certainly a, a worthy bill that we that ACB supports and we encourage all of our members to support as well. And one of these, these days when the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or IDEA is reauthorized, um, we'll make a, a big push to have provisions of the Cogswell-Macy Act included in the reauthorization of IDEA. Um, and if Debbie Grubb is with us now. I'm here. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Can please hello. Sh share with us some of the work that the Special Education Committee has been up to recently. Well, we are, we have been doing a great deal of work trying to get our push out to two groups of people. We want to reach out to people who are primarily responsible for the free and appropriate public education of blind children, because many of them don't know what their children are entitled to even now, apart from the wonderful Cogswell-Macy Act, which someday will be in our, our bag of tricks, we hope. And we're trying to become a resource to them. And on the other side of the coin, we are trying to reach out to people in a very unofficial way who would like to be mentors and advisors. We have wonderful members on our committee, but if you, anyone out there listening to this tonight, if you know of a family or a guardian or a parent or whatever who's way over their head, and could use some help and some guidance and some support. We would like to know about that. And if you are a person who has either done this with a blind child or blind yourself or a TVI who have expertise and experience, because we want to ensure that these blind children get everything that they are entitled to. And so this is not because of all of the privacy laws, et cetera, this is not a formal thing. But when people wish to be connected, we want to help make that happen. So we have several wonderful TVIs on our committee now that, that are task force now that are helping us. We, we did a presentation for the um, DC leadership meetings. We did another presentation recently on Sunday edition, and we have an earlier presentation that is still very um, cogent where we talked about how, what happens when parents become instant TVIs with their children. So please take advantage of our podcasts and please let us know if you are someone who would like to help, if you are somebody who needs help, if you know someone, because that's what we want to do. We're all about our children. ACB is doing so much phenomenal work. And so it's wonderful to have this little group over here who says, we're here for the children. And we're so thrilled about Cogswell Macy. ACB has been so faithful to this through all of its many years of trying to make it over the finish line. And so we're very grateful for that. So just please let us know if you would like to help or if you need help, or if you know of somebody who needs help and would like to have it or whatever. So please, we're here for the children and um, we're happy to be, and we're trying also finally just to make sure that we have resources out there in the form of podcasts that can also be helpful. And uh, we are madly working on ways to try to present some portions of our podcast in written form. So we've got a lot on our plate and I think we're going to get a lot done and we certainly can use your help and we want to be there for you. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Debbie, and thank you to all the work of the Special Education Committee. All right, um, progressing down the list, uh, we have Doug Powell in the audience. If he could please come up on stage. 
Doug is one of the co-chairs of our Rehab Issues Task Force. And there, there's certainly been some activity on the advocacy front, not much movement on rehab-related issues, but it is an area of collaboration. Uh, the American Council of the Blind participates in the Vision Serve Alliance National Policy Collaborative and Rehabilitation, um, what is done with competitive integrated employment, um, state use programs, the Ability One program, and of course, vocational rehabilitation more broadly are frequent, frequent topics of conversation. Um, but that's Doug here to please share the work of the Rehab Issues Task Force. Um, Doug had the opportunity to moderate a great panel with Lee Nasahi from Vision Serve, Bill Robinson from the National Council of State Agencies uh, for the Blind, as well as Kelly Buckland from National Council on Independent Living to uh, talk about rehabilitation and the rehab task forces white paper on the status of rehabilitation that was uh, published in a new edition last year in 2020. So Doug, welcome. Thank you very much, Clark. Um, yeah, you covered all the bases. Um, yes, uh, we're still in the process of distributing and, and, and making people aware of the fact that we uh, had a, a new white paper endorsed by the ACB Board of Directors, and um, it's uh, getting some. It's it's getting around, but uh, um, if people don't know about it, um, you can go to acb.org and um, under committees and task forces, um, go to the rehabilitation task force, and you can see the, uh, the paper and and uh, go to sleep reading it. <laughs> um, so, um, and based on that, we, we decided to, uh, this year to find out what other people think about rehabilitation. Um, so uh, as Clark said in the February uh, leadership conference, we had um, the head of the uh, National Council on State Agencies for the Blind. We had a, the head of the, the executive director of the National uh, Council on Independent Living, and we had the uh, CE, uh, the founder of um, the Vision Serve Alliance, um, all talking about um, you know where where rehab is right now, um, and they got uh, into a little bit of a discussion there on the. So if you want to uh, track down the um, the podcast for from that session. Um, I think you might find it interesting. Uh, we, we did that kind of purposely to, to find out, you know, so we know and our members know what the differences are between the philosophies of these different uh, national organizations. And also so that we can um, know what they're thinking and, and, and try to advocate more, uh, more uh, <clears throat> excuse me, more effectively and also get them to uh, see what areas we can work with them on <clears throat> where we don't have conflicts. So that, that was fun. Uh, and we're gonna continue that at the uh, national convention with um, three uh, commissioners or heads of state agencies for the blind, or, you know, and I, I think all of, yes, all of them are state agencies for the blind, um, or at least the blindness, uh, uh, sections of the uh, the state rehab um, system, um, and again, I, we're going to try to get out of the RSA mouthpiece mode and see if they can talk about what they personally, uh, how they personally view the current rehabilitation system, what they were like, you know, and, and what they hope for in the next five to ten years. So that should be kind of fun. Um, uh, as Clark mentioned, the, so we uh, have some comments. Uh, RSA asked for comments on the definition of um, uh, integrated em employment uh, sites, and uh, so we're 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 working on that. The, that's due like in, like now, <laughs> so uh, we're finishing that up, um, and um, we. I guess I'll transition. Uh, we we um, 
we work with, there are several of our members who are also members of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. Is this a good time, Clark, to, it is. to transition over to that? <clears throat> we have an, thank you. Uh, we, ha uh, we have an exciting project going on. We're sort of kicking it off this Sunday. And if you haven't heard about it, um, uh, shame on you, because we've tried every way possible. <laughs> um, so uh, this Sunday evening, we're going to have an introduction and some instructions on having our members and our friends, uh, both ACB and AAVL and friends, um, work on advocacy at the grassroots level, at, the, you know, at, at your community level, working with the area agencies on aging. So we know they do a lot of programs like Meals on Wheels, uh, they help caretakers. They, you know, they do a lot of good stuff. And, uh, but we're not sure what exactly they do. We're not sure, uh, um, you know, and, and I, I think there are differences between different area agencies on what they deliver. So we're, we're going to be working on finding out, you know, what, what are the programs that are the same and what are different. But more, most importantly, if we don't know very much about them, they probably don't know very much about us. And, and we are concerned that we're not, we in the blindness community are not getting the same kind of, um, uh, the same access to, to programs and services that, that other uh, older people are. So um, we're hoping to, we're gonna, we're gonna be having people uh, fill out a questionnaire with the Area Agency on Aging and we're gonna compile that information and we're gonna ask those people who uh, help uh, fill out the questionnaire to stay in touch with the agency and do some advocacy at the local level to make sure that, um, that the, the connection between the agency and the blindness community uh, improves and stays strong. So if you're interested in doing that, um, please, uh, please come to the, um, community call on Sunday evening at 7.30. Um, and there's more information on the AAVL website, which is aaval-blind-seniors.org. And you've got, you can find more information there. Uh, so Great. looking forward to, yeah, looking forward to having fun on this one. Great. Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you. Um, and like to call on Swatha again, because the White House, in addition to the trillions of dollars spent on the American Rescue Plan, is planning more trillions of dollars in an in infrastructure plan, because I can talk. Um, and it details are a bit murky at this point, but the White House has released um, a, a fact sheet regarding the infrastructure plan and Swatha, uh, what were some of the things that stood out to you in um, the infrastructure fact sheet? Um, yeah, so I kind of noticed a lot about um, the job situation. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So they're investing um, in jobs and in like kind of supporting supporting more employers so yeah so a lot of the infrastructure plan is, is dealing with uh, traditional infrastructure right so roads bridges um, trains planes and all of the things that we traditionally think about infrastructure but it's also dealing with um, human infrastructure and human capital so it'll be interesting to see um, as the bill progresses, what that means for employment and uh, apprenticeships, um, what lends the inclusive provisions in this legislation um, include disability. Because one of the things that we've noticed recently is that when organizations, companies, or boards talk about diversity, that disability is not always included. Uh, so there was recently a, a letter from the 
National Disability Leadership Alliance, of which ACB is a member, to the NASDAQ, because the NASDAQ's uh, diversity statement did not include disability as they're seeking to make their board uh, more diverse and more inclusive. Um, in addition to the, you know, the human capital and human infrastructure and the traditional infrastructure, uh, there's information in the, the fact sheet about broadband infrastructure. And this is an area that ACB has been paying particular attention. Uh, we've been working with our partners in support of the FCC's emergency broadband benefit. And that was authorized by the COVID stimulus package at the end of December. Uh, it authorizes around, I don't remember the exact number, but roughly $3 billion of support. Traditionally, broadband support has come in the way of subsidizing um, broadband deployment and making the internet more available. Uh, what's unique about this provision is that the emergency broadband benefit, or EBB, will offer a subsidy for broadband service to increase adoption. Um, and if folks are eligible for the Lifeline program, for uh, SNAP, you know, subsidized or free school lunches, um, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, uh, other government programs, uh, which includes programs for people with disabilities, you may also be eligible for the emergency broadband benefit to receive uh, basically a $50 a month subsidy for broadband service, um, as well as a credit toward an internet connected device. And certainly as we've noticed with the ACB community, um, being connected, being online is, is a great way to limit social isolation, uh, remain engaged, remain as part of your community, uh, especially as we've touched on earlier, there are still so many barriers to transportation that remain, and in some cases, access barriers that have been exacerbated by the pandemic. In addition to broadband availability, uh, the ACB and the audio description project are still working hard to make uh, the audio description more widely available. Uh, HBO Max in a settlement with ACB and the Bay State Council has now begun rolling out audio description here in March uh, on the HBO Max platform, as well as making their websites and apps uh, more accessible and user-friendly to individuals who use assistive technology like screen readers. Um, and this is, this is an on, ongoing area of focus and will continue to be. Um, so certainly stay tuned and there will be more to come on audio description. Um, the last kind of technology related thing that I'll touch on is that there is continued attention in the cross-disability community as well as Congress around website accessibility. Uh, typically when bills are introduced dealing with website accessibility, it's done from the business perspective of how can we get around being sued for our websites not being accessible. Uh, but there is a, an effort underway to encourage the Department of Justice, even though we're still waiting for a few appointees there, um, but to encourage the Department of Justice or even you know, force the Department of Justice, require is a better word, the Department of Justice um, to finish the, the rulemaking that they started nearly 10 years ago, 2011, um, to promulgate regulations for website accessibility. Uh, so it's, this is a, much like Chris got to share the, the breaking news about the Department of Justice weighing in 
on the Chicago Accessible Pedestrian Signals case. There was another uh, legal proceeding then with a ruling yesterday regarding the website for the grocery store chain in the Southeast, Winn-Dixie. And uh, it was not a favorable ruling for website access. Um, so the, the more kind of muddied the water gets, um, the less certainty there is for people with disabilities, as well as businesses on what needs to be done to make websites accessible. Uh, our last committee that we're going to hear from this evening, uh, if we could have Gabe Griffith, please come to the stage. Gabe is one of our co-chairs of the ACB Resolutions Committee. And the Resolutions Committee has worked last year for the first time in an entirely virtual environment to still have ACB resolutions brought from members, um, although being in a virtual environment, the resolutions were brought to the board um, and adopted as, uh, Gabe, what is the word I'm looking for? You can, you can tell it's been a, a long week. They were, uh, were they board resolutions or board motions, I think is, is what they were. Um, and we now have a, a process in place through an ad hoc task force on how resolutions will be handled this year and it's getting close to being that time of year right Gabe oh we don't have Gabe up on stage yet Gabe if you could uh raise your hand and see if we could get folks to unmute you there we go oh, he's on the move yes Gabe you are still muted even though you're on stage now uh, Gabe, this is Lynn. You can there's, unmute. There's my unmute. There you there's go. My unmute button. Okay. Yeah, I was looking through there and finally found the button. Um, yeah, they were uh, they were essentially adopted as board resolutions last year. So I think that's and, the question you were asking, right? Yep. And Gabe, what do uh, what do folks need to know about resolutions this year? So this year we have uh, are going to follow more or less the same procedure as last year, um, but hopefully with a little bit more organization because we won't be making it up for the first time. The uh, kind of rough outline that we're going to follow is um, stay tuned because the first week of May, well, let me back up just a second. We're not going to really have a meeting at convention this year as has been done in a live setting just because there's so many Zoom meetings going on that uh, we're gonna try to not shove one more at you this year. So what we're gonna do is somewhere around the first week of May, we will hold a community call to invite anyone that is thinking they might wanna submit a resolution, but maybe unsure about how to how to write one or what format it should be, that kind of stuff. So um, we'll try to answer those questions. And then we're gonna have, um, because if anyone's heard the uh, uh, report from the ad hoc committee that we had um, over the last several months, uh, we're going to be introducing a uh, constitution bylaw amendment but until that goes into effect we're just kind of on a request basis so we will try to request that folks have those resolutions in around may 1st because or uh, june 1st because that'll be 14 days or uh, 45 days sorry ahead of the uh, convention and then the resolutions committee will be able to start working on them and uh, kind of get them in shape and then we will have either just before or most likely after the uh, convention, a couple of uh, open community calls as we did last year to have the committee work on them and, and get input. Um, and the, the hard deadline of when resolutions are absolutely gonna have to be in will be the Friday of convention. Uh, the, I think it's the 23rd, if, uh, if my math and recollection are correct. Um, and then once the, the resolutions committee goes through them, they will again be submitted to the board for uh, hopefully adoption at, uh, at a board meeting. 
Great. Thank you so much, Gabe. And that is it for and, and Clark. Clark, uh, would it be okay? Yes. I was going to say, would it be okay for me to go ahead and share my contact info if anybody has questions about that and wants to start reaching out about them? Um, does ACB Radio or the community events have a policy on sharing contact information? And, and I would be sharing contact information that is on our CCB website anyway. This so is Tyson. Not, with not ACB exactly. Radio. You're, yes, yeah, you're, good. you're good to go ahead and share your professional contact information. Great. Um, that's what I wanted to check on and, and why I asked. <laughs> so thank you. Um, so if anybody has questions about that, uh, anything I just said on there, the resolution stuff, feel free to either call me at 925-222-5762, or you can email me at Gabe.Griffith, that's G-A-B-E dot G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H at C-C-B-N-E-T dot org. So, and thanks, Tyson, for confirming that. Thank you so much, Gabe. And uh, to get in touch with any of the ACB advocacy committees, uh, you can always go to acb.org slash committees and look up the committees and there'll be contact information for the committee chairs. Uh, of course, you can always email advocacy at acb.org and we'd be happy to connect you with the appropriate committee or um, give us a call in the national office. Uh, Belinda and Lynn, at this time, I'd like to ask folks if they could raise their hand and we'll take a couple questions from folks, if they have any questions on what they've heard here this evening, or if there are other areas of advocacy focus that they would like to bring to our attention. All right. So if you, this is Lynn, if you would like to ask a question or have a comment, you may raise your hand by doing Alt-Y on your keyboard for a computer, star nine, if you are on a landline. If you are on a Mac, it is option Y. And if you are on a app on your smartphone, it is on the middle of the screen on, on the bottom. And we do have one question so far. Terry, you should be able to unmute. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for having this wonderful discussion. I just wanna add something that Doug talked about earlier about reaching out to senior services. Everybody can call 211 on a landline or cell phone and that will connect you to your local human services. In my county, in Lake County, when I call 211, it connects me to United Way. But there are other human services that you can get through by just dialing 211 and it's specific to your backyard. The other number you can call is 311 and that connects you to your local government office. For example, when I dial 311 in Lake County, it gets me to the Lake County Administration Office, which is your commissioners, your county manager and everything like that. And then, of course, everyone knows if you have problems with your cell phone, it's 611. That's my PSA for this evening. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> have a good night. Thanks for sharing that, Terry. Okay. Uh, we do not have any other questions at this time. All right. Well, if that's the case, then I will turn it back over to Jeff Tom. Um, and again, always encourage folks to email us at advocacy at acb.org. And yeah, Jeff, I'll let you take it away. We have such an impressive, we had such an impressive lineup that obviously they took all your questions and <laughs> answered them before you could throw them out there. So, but I really do have to say that our committee chairs and the folks on the various committees have done such an incredible job this time. And along with the amazing efforts 
of Clark on putting that great legislative seminar together. I don't think I've ever, you know, had such a seen such a lineup of advocacy related individuals. And so I think uh, it's going to be a high bar. Whatever we do next year, he's going to have to try and top that. And that's going to be very difficult. Um, so uh, Lynn, why don't you check one more time in case there are any questions? Okay, I'm checking right now. Okay. And we do not have any questions at this time, Jeff. Okay, well, in that case, um, I think we're going to uh, give you back a couple of extra minutes of your time to do with as you will. I hope this has been informative. Let us know if you like this uh, call, this format, because if you do, we'll certainly continue to do these calls uh, to give you the types of updates on all the advocacy issues that ACB is a part of. So thank all of my, uh, uh, all of the, my fellow committee chairs. Thank you, Clark and Swatha. And thank you, all of you who listened in and attended this meeting. And with that, good night.